This is Carl Palachuk, and you're listening to the SMB Community Podcast, produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. I'm joined today by Mike Michalowicz, who's the author of many books. I don't even know how many books. Uh, but my favorite is Profit First. So <laughs> I guess that's what I'd rather talk about. Uh, <laughs> so Mike has a, a long and illustrious career. So he's the author of Profit First, Surge, The Punk and Plane, and his newest release, which is Clockwork. By his 35th birthday, Mike had founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and another to Fortune 500. Today, he's running his third multi-million dollar venture, Profit First Professionals. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and the former business makeup makeover specialist at MSNBC. Over the years, Mike has traveled the globe speaking with thousands of entrepreneurs and is here today to share the best of what he has learned. Welcome, sir. Carl, thank you so much for having me. I, I was going to insert and tell you how many books I have out there, but I don't know either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I don't know if you ever heard of Dan Pointer. Dan so, Pointer. Yeah. Dan sounds familiar. You know, I'm best with faces, though. I can't place a face to that. He name. was, for the longest time, the uh, self-publishing guru of all times. Oh, he, cool. He basically, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he basically had this philosophy. If you're looking for a book and you can't find it on a specific topic, you should write it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of books he, he you got to still write. I bet yeah. you he did a ridiculous amount. So of he, he ended up with like 70 books. He had books on how to raise a cat, uh, how to do parasailing. Uh, one time I went to uh, be a, a uh, uh, expert witness in a court case and I was like, oh man, I don't know how to be an expert witness. Go on Amazon, I buy a book, it shows up. It's by Dan Pointer. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Anyway, so keep writing them and I'll keep reading them. So. You got a deal. And, I, and and to be honest, I love the audio version. So I have Profit First. I have the, the physical. Oh, there it book, is. But I also have the audio version, and uh, I, I do that a lot with nonfiction. If I get the audio version, I'm like, ah, eh, crap! Now I got to go buy the physical book. Yeah. So, uh, but you're, you have yeah, a great, I, you great know, voice and enjoy, you have a good presentation. I particularly enjoy doing the audio versions. I um, I just finished recording. I have a brand new book coming out in April called Fix This Next, and I just finish recording the audio. And what we're doing now is we call them read-alongs. The idea is for someone to have the hardcover, but to listen to the audio in parallel. And because in the audio, every frequently, every section or so, I'm doing a breakout explaining why that section came about, some other insights and stuff like that to complement the book itself. Right. Which is a very nice touch. And, and you do sort of step out of it. It's almost like a movie where they, you know, somebody turns to the camera and says, by the way, yeah. here's why we're doing this. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a nice thing. Let me just tell you from my perspective and, and let get your feedback on this. My favorite actual paragraph in the whole book was when you said, look, gap generally acceptable yeah. accounting practices uh, is not intended for your benefit or something to that, to that effect. It's, it's, a ten, it's intended to make the accountant feel comfortable with what they do for a living. And it has nothing to do with you as an owner. No. I found that so powerful because I've been fighting like for a year with this one accounting company because they're like, well, we have to do it this way because of, you know, gap. Yeah. And, and I'm yeah. like, but what you're doing is hiding stuff in the journal and, and it's not visible to me on my P&L. Like that, like as a business owner, 
you're hiding what I consider to be important information. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So GAP stands for generally accepted accounting principles and it was designed specifically with large businesses to achieve compliance, tax compliance. And the uh, large corporations are mandated to follow uh, the rules, um, but small businesses not. And um, it's a, it's a, it's a massive set of rules, but the core essence of it is how profit is formulated. It's sales minus expense equals profit. And so we just come to believe, Oh, clearly that's the only way to get the profit is that it has to come last. We even call it the bottom line or year end. So it's in our vernacular. And for many businesses, small businesses, it's the last consideration and therefore it never manifests. Most businesses are not profitable. And, and the reason I'd argue is because the formula tells us to make it the last consideration. And that's a fatal mistake. Right. It's like, oh, here, you're an entrepreneur. So you get the leftovers. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right? It's horrible. <laughs> think, I mean, think about it. It's, it's like, it's like making a meal and then you carve it all up and you throw it in the garbage can and then say, well, what's left over for us to eat? Like, but do just, you, just, do you obsess on your PL? Do you like you open your PL and look at it once a month or once a week or? No, I don't. I, I obsess on my cash flow, not my cash flow statement, but my cash flow. So what I do and, and why I developed the profit first system is I log into my bank account regularly, at least once a day, sometimes multiple times a day. But I've designed it so it reflects how my cash flow is flowing. Then periodically when there's an anomaly, there's not enough cash flowing in or there's more than usual and I want to amplify it. Then I go into the investigation of the, you know, profit and loss statement, the income statement. The funny thing is um, I spoke to my accountant. He's a very established accountant. He's got hundreds and hundreds of active clients, does thousands of returns. Um, he, in confidence, he shared with me, he goes, you know, you're one of my most profitable clients of all time. <laughs> and he won't share, of course, data on the other clients. But he's like, and, and you inquire the least about these financial statements. It doesn't compute. And I said, absolutely computes. I said, you're, you're the one who needs to be proficient at those, proficient at those statements. When, when I have a question about that, I need your guidance. But with the cash management, I need something that works inherently with how I already behave. And those statements don't serve me. It's my bank balance. I got to do with my bank account. That's why my businesses are so profitable. Right. So uh, when you work with people on the profit first stuff, uh, what's, where do you get the most resistance? Is it saying, oh, I got to set up all these bank accounts, including one at a separate bank? Yeah, yeah. Two, two things, or maybe three things. One is people say it's too simple to work. It's a shell game, right? So <laughs> with Private First, you're, you're setting up these multiple accounts. You're going to put money to different bank accounts and they go, it's the same amount of money. So how can that change my business at all? It doesn't change your business. It changes your perspective. And a changed perspective does massive things to improving your business. So, so people say that it's too simple to work. The second thing is they say, yes, yeah, these bank accounts is going to be too time consuming and uh, it's going to be too much of a distraction and too much of an effort. So therefore I won't do it. Well, that's a fatal mistake. We need to intercept our, what call, what's called a behavioral path. And if, if an entrepreneur logs into their bank accounts to see what their balance is, we need something that, that's there where they're logged in so they can see what the intended use of the money is. Here's an example. I exercise now regularly, but it's not because I have great discipline. It's because I found a strategy to make me exercise regularly. When I wake up, sitting on top of my toilet seat are my gym sneakers. And with my sneakers there, um, I can't use the bathroom without grabbing them. And then once they're my hand, I put them on. That simple thing, intercepting the path of what I do every day, go to the bathroom when I wake up, has caused me to exercise. By setting up these accounts at your bank, 
we do something every day. We log into our bank accounts. Now we know where our money's intended. And then the third and final major stumbling block is people say, well, I can do this on a spreadsheet, you know, or I can just do my accounting system. And my response is, well, your accounting system already does this. It's called a general ledger. It's tracking all your expenses. Everything's broken down, but that doesn't seem to be serving you. So that's not going to work. And a spreadsheet's nice, but how often do we refer to it? We have to, again, intercept our natural behavioral path. And if you do bank balance accounting, when you log into your bank account to see how much money you have and make decisions, then the system must be at your bank. Right. So do you encourage people to use an ATM versus a credit card in terms of, uh, you know, you, you can't actually spend the money unless it's sitting there in your bank? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So a debit card is far superior because it's more painful. So, uh, you know, when, when I spend money on a credit card, you get the reward immediately and then the, the pain, paying that bill comes 30 days later. So there's this deferred pain response. So it works into the behavior of humans and that, that we want instant gratification and we're getting it through credit cards. Um, and so that becomes a real trap. And this is true for consumers, but it's true for business owners just as much, if not even more. We can, we can do something decisively in our business and just leverage our credit cards to do it, but then we have to pay for it later and we're not prepared. Right. When we use a debit card or we pay cash, now that money comes right out of our pocket and our, our response is markedly different. We spend much more cautiously. We evaluate the return we're going to get from something. So we, we behave much more prudently when we feel an immediate pain, if you will, of, of that cash going away from us. So for my own businesses, and I encourage people to use debit cards, they are far superior than credit cards. And listen, credit card companies, they're motivated for us to use them because the, the more we use them, the more interest we pay and the more we get trapped. So they'll do everything to trigger that positive feeling, that positive behavior of, of ringing up the, the spend on the credit cards. Plus if they send you checks that. so that you can just move balances around and pretend like- Oh yeah, and they do that, all that stuff. And, and now we're just playing a game with money. Then now that really is a shell game and that can destroy us. Right. It's interesting because I, I sort of stumbled upon this about 12 years ago. I put my brother in charge as president of one of my companies. Huh. And I said, now you are going to track cash every single day. And because um, I want a cash flow report, right? And, uh, and then I just started using the ATM or the, the debit card instead of credit card. Um, and that way everything was in cash, you know, cash equivalent all the time. And the biggest complaint I get when I mention this to people is they say, oh, but this guy on the radio said those are horrible and blah, blah, blah. I have never lost a penny using a, a debit card. And of course. Somebody, somebody somewhere said that. And, and I, oh, yeah. well, yeah, because, because listen, we want to, to use credit cards because we get the points, right? Which by the way, is a behavioral strategy to link us in. We want the instant gratification. So it's human nature to justify why credit cards are superior and they're not but it's human nature. And so when we see someone use a debit card, if there's, if there's just one piece of information saying debit cards are bad, we're like, aha, you know, was it, was it Henry Ford who said, if you think you're right, or if you think you can or can't, you're right. It's the same thing. If we, if we believe in something, we'll find the information that supports it and we'll disregard the information that doesn't. Right. And on the question, back to the comment you made that, oh, it just seems too easy. Is your system simply a matter of you get better at whatever you put your attention on. So if you put your attention on your finances, you'll be better at it. Yes. So the system reprioritizes our attention. I believe the reason we're in business is profitability. I'm actually convinced of it because profitability translates to sustainability, sustainability of the business, 
sustainability of our lives. And uh, Carl, of all the entrepreneurs I've met, and it, it's, it, it must be in the hundreds of thousands of now, uh, that every entrepreneur I meet, the two consistent reasons they're in business is one is personal freedom, do I want what I want, and financial freedom. And uh, the, the great irony is that's the two things we don't get in our business. We're trapped by the business and we don't have any money. So with Profit First, we're at least getting half this thing right. We're going to get the, the financial freedom. And what that means is we're going to first prioritize profit. Every time there's a transaction, we're going to take profit out. I like to say a profit's not an event. Profit is a habit. We're not going to wait for profit eventually, you know, event as an event. We're going to get profit immediately. And so we allocate profit into a profit account. And we do the same thing for owner's compensation, which is different than profit. It's to pay the owner their deserved salary. And then we're gonna reserve for taxes. Then the business is gonna get funded. The operating expenses is the last consideration. Not that it's the last consideration for the operations of the business, but when it comes to the financial allocations, it's always profit first, then owner's comp, then tax. And then we pay the business what it's available, the remainder. And we have to run off it. And if you can't pay your bills, at that point, your business is telling you, you can't afford your bills. There's a fundamental flaw in your business. So yeah. um, it's just a great system to prioritize what matters most, which is the sustainability of the business. And it also helps you with the longer term vision. Like if you're thinking about taxes, you know, in January, you're thinking about taxes that aren't due until the end of December. Yeah. Uh, that, that does change your focus a bit. Too many people in small business wake up every day and just do what they did yesterday. And then yeah. after 20 years, they don't have any money. And they're like, what the hell happened? Right? Yeah. You know, the biggest bill associated with the operation of a business that we're least prepared for is the tax bill. So, you know, every quarter, every April 15th, I'm telling you that tax bill is coming and we all know it, but we don't consider it. And then we get blindsided by it. And the response is irrational. Like we got to sell our way out of this. Uh, try to spend as many, dollars on expenses we can to reduce our taxes you know spend spend ten dollars to save three so we act very irrationally in the profit first system what we do is every time there's a transaction a portion of that money goes to a tax allocation to prepare for taxes what they realize is we are all effectively agents for the government we have a, a by law we are required to pay taxes and so when you earn money we're going to take out that percentage that's due to the government in advance just like a sales tax it's, a, it's called an income tax, but it acts the same way. Every time there's a sale and you charge your state sale tax of five or 10 or whatever percentage it is, that money goes into a sales tax account and goes to the government. There should be an income tax account. And so that's what we do with Profit First. We have an account to reserve for those taxes. Now you have an exercise. So folks who haven't gone through the book, there's this exercise of looking at, here's your revenue, here's your uh, legit expenses, operating expenses. Uh, and then, you know, here's your owner's compensation and your profit. Uh, when I went through this, one little interesting thing popped up for me. Well, two. First of all, I've been paying my taxes as I go along through my payroll. So I, you know, my company paid 0% in, in your calculation of yeah. my taxes. So that, that stood out. The yeah. other thing that stood out is within maybe $300, uh, your recommendation, the book's recommendation was that I reduce my profit by 36,000 and increase my um, compensation by 36,000. Mm. So, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, does it really matter whether I get that through? Good question. So it, do it does matter. So we have to do is distinguish profit and owner's compensation. Owner's compensation is that if we were gonna replace you, Carl, at your company with someone else, what would we pay them? 
the reasonable salary for that. And, and as a business owner, often the business owners do an extraordinary amount of unique work and it's highly compensated. And owner's pay is something that comes out of the business regularly, every weekly or biweekly. But this is what we live our lifestyle off of. Profit is a bonus above and beyond. It, it comes out on a quarterly basis, but we don't have a dependency for our lifestyle. And that's the distinguishment. If we blend them together, that's what most businesses do. Whatever money is available, they take out. The owner will ramp their lifestyle at home to be representative of all that money. And the day that they have a down quarter or down year, my gosh, they are in real trouble. But if we are living off our owner's compensation, a healthy, reasonable conversation, compensation, and profit is piling up behind the scenes, now when those profits come out, should there be a dark period or slowdown, it can cover us. Um, also, there's a, this uh, reward mechanism that triggers. Because profit comes out quarterly, just like my profit does, is um, it, it's a celebration. It's, a, it's an exciting moment. It's like, wow, this is, this is great. Um, if I was taking it weekly or quarterly, I'm sorry, weekly or biweekly, then it becomes an expectation like, oh, this is, this is my new standard of living. So that's why we need to distinguish those two accounts. Right. So in my case, uh, I set my salary at a high enough level that um, I, the, the IRS is never going to say that's unreasonable because some people set it super low to avoid paying the um, Social Security piece of that. So mm -hmm. if I raise it by 36000 that's going to be a whole bunch more money, you know, 14% of that going mm -hmm. to Social Security. Yeah. So it sounds like you have an S corp or maybe a yeah, C corp. Yeah. Yeah. I have an S corp. S -corp. Yeah. So different business structures, what we need to do then is tweak the system. So the foundational system um, would show us to increase our owner's compensation. But what we do then is we talk with a professional accountant or bookkeeper. There's actually people who are certified in profit first specifically that are accountants and bookkeepers and get direction on how do we minimize our tax liabilities. So I am not encouraging people to increase how much we pay the government. I think we should take right. uh, an extraordinary effort to legally reduce our tax consequences. So there could be tweaks to the system, but the essence of the system remains the same. We want to set a standard for you to live on comfortably and happily and give a bonus above that. So we just made make some tweaks in, in how the compensation is delivered to you through distributions versus payroll, but the, the essence stays the same. It's, it's interesting to me. Uh, I always look at professionals and I say, how, how much thoroughly does this person know their stuff? For you to know by that question that I have an S Corp, you kind of know your shit. Well, <laughs> that's, that's a casual observation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've done this enough times. You know, uh, I, I just know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I just know. And I'm, the funny thing is I'm not an accountant uh, and I'm not a bookkeeper, but uh, I've done this system for myself for so long. And now we have over 300, we think it's 350,000 companies that are doing this. It's hard to, it's, we've lost track but uh, there are best estimates about 350,000 businesses are doing this. And so we've seen all flavors. We have a public company. I can't disclose their name uh, because uh, they had to do a modification of the system to stay within compliance of what's called Sarbanes-Oxley. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not appropriate to share them, but we have a public company doing this and we have the, uh, these micro solo proprietorships that are doing this, sole proprietorships and everything in between. So it's just interesting. Um, the essence of the system stays the same throughout. There's just minor adjustments that different types of corporations can do to maximize the benefit they gain. Very cool. Anything else you want to say on that before we move to newer books? Um, yeah. So yeah, I do want to share one last thing. You know, for anyone listening in, I want you to realize your clients are starving for you to be profitable. They are 
wanting you to be profitable in the worst way. Now they'll never use those words. Like no client will say, Hey, can you charge me more? Can you rack up the prices on me? But where clients will say is I want your undivided attention. I want you to cater to me. I want to make sure that when you're serving my account, that you're not distracted about panicking for money to, to serve someone else or, or to make money somewhere else. And all those things necessitate profitability. The only way for you to care for a customer is to be profitable. The only way for you to be focused on a customer is to be profitable. The only way for you not to be distracted and worrying about money is to be profitable. So your clients are starving for your profitability. It won't use those words. So you have a responsibility for profitability. Very cool. I agree completely. Thank you, sir. Um, and you know, your best clients are going to be the ones who occasionally will ask you, say, hey, how's your business going, right? Yeah, yes, they, that's true. They really do care. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right, uh, other books. So Clockwork was your most recent book? And yeah, Clockwork is the one most recently released. And then Fix This Next is coming out as of this recording uh, about a month and a half out from today. All right. So maybe we can have you back and you can... Uh, Oh, I'd be honored. I'd be honored. So, yeah, so Clockwork, um, I found there's a, I'm on a mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And what I mean by that is there's a perception, the day you start your business, there's a perception of you. Your, your friends that don't know business think you're a millionaire. They think you're just on the beach all the time as the business churns out cash, you know, barely working. But the reality is we are not making much money when we start a business. Sadly, many entrepreneurs never make money and we're working our tails off. So there's multiple forms of entrepreneurial poverty. One of them is financial, but in Clockwork, what I explore is the flavor of time poverty, that all we do is work more and more and more. How do we get our business, how do we design our business to run itself? And that became the thesis of this book. And I walk through the, the seven stages of, of directing a business to, to work without the owner themselves. Perfect. Um, well, I'm a big advocate of that. Of course, uh, I've written enough books on that myself. So, yeah. um, and what about Fix This Next? So Fix This Next, the thesis of this book is I've concluded that the biggest challenge business owners have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. Most of us are reverting to putting out fires. We're addressing all the apparent issues that present themselves and just tackling that one next. And we're we're stuck in a business that's, that's quagmired. It's not moving forward and we're frustrated. We're working harder and harder, but it seems to not grow or we take two steps forward yet three steps back. So what I did was unpack what I consider the DNA for all businesses. There's a hierarchy of needs. I call it the business hierarchy of needs that all businesses have. And um, in fix this next through a series of simple questions, we can simply pinpoint where the business has its biggest need point right now. I call it the vital need that we need to fix. And if we do that, it pushes the business forward. And then the next vital need will present itself. You know, where is the business bottlenecked? And it's, it's not, I'll tell you, it's, you rarely represent itself in your email or the line of questions coming at your door. How, what's that one impactful thing we need to find and fix this next is a tool, a compass, if you will, to pinpoint where we need to go. Right. So does it involve, setting priorities and then help using that as a basis for? Yeah, yeah, it, it sets the priorities actually for you. So what I did was uh, discover that there's five distinct stages for every business. There's sales, profit, order, impact, and the highest level is legacy. In these stages, there's certain elements that are needed, core needs, I call them. But it's basically the DNA of the business. And kind of like a disease, like you could have a skin rash, um, but 
putting uh, you know, a steroidal ointment on it may get rid of skin rash temporarily, but it comes right back. What is the core trigger for that? Well, maybe it's an allergy to some food or maybe it's the coronavirus now that's going around, right? What is triggering that? And we need to get to the essence of it. So this is a diagnostic tool to get to the real core root cause of a problem or challenge, pinpoint it so you can fix it. And then once you fix it, we figure out what's the next impedance in the business. Very good. So uh, I'm always interested in different ways of looking at businesses and analyzing them. Uh, my, you know, similar to you, my goal is to help all of the IT professionals out there to be successful. I'm shocked at how many people work in this business for 20 years and have nothing saved for retirement. I know, I know, it's, I know. It, like, you know, like you say, you're earning 100 to $150 an hour and it's almost, uh, it's almost like that meme, you know, the, uh, what my mom thinks I do, what my customers think I do, right? Yeah, it's funny. They all think that we're stuffing money uh, away in $100 bills. Um, but too many people just barely get by and then they borrow a little for the next month and then they never quite pay it back. And so they go into debt a yeah. little tiny bit at a time for 20 years. Uh, and then they have hundreds of thousands in debt instead of hundreds of thousands in retirement. Yeah, yeah. And that's a dangerous position. You know, so I come from an IT background. I used to install netware systems back in the day, netware 2.2. Nice. And um, <laughs> I thought that a business growth was contingent upon my raw effort, my raw work. And uh, I've come to this conclusion that uh, an entrepreneur is not someone who does the work. It's someone who has a clear vision on the, where they want their business to go and then choreograph the resources around them, the people, the technology, uh, even the vendors and clients themselves to achieve that outcome as fluidly and simply as possible. And um, that retirement money, how it comes about, actually, it's funny, I just did a keynote yesterday in Rhode Island and uh, I, I asked the audience, I said, would you rather make $100 an hour or $10 an hour? And uh, every hand went, got raised up for $100 an hour, obviously. But then I said, I wanna add another variable here. If that $10 an hour was on automatic, meaning you could sit at the beach and that every 10 minutes, uh, every hour a butler came down $10 and gave it to you, would you rather have that or $100 an hour on your blood, sweat, and tears? Now the hand started to switch. I mean, most people still want $100 an hour because it's 10 times the volume of money. Right. Some people said, you know, money on automatic for life is pretty good. And then I asked them, I said, what well, if that $10 an hour could be amplified to 50 or 100 or $1,000 an hour? What if it had no top limit? And what if $100 an hour was stuck? Which would you want? And then people are like, I want the $10 an hour. And that is the, the three stages of business. A business, when we start it, if we do all the work, we can make that $100 an hour. But the, the limit is our effort and our time. And that is an exhaustible resource. We will burn out. Uh, we will uh, be too, there's a certain point we can't work more hours in a day. There's a certain point where we do need to retire because we're not physically capable. So that $100 an hour has a very short lifespan. The $10 an hour is where we're giving and empowering employees. But that transitional stage from $100 an hour to $10 an hour is painful because it's a long-term benefit with a short-term consequence. I'm, I'm, I may be taking a little dip in my salary now as I start getting other people up to speed. So that dip or that transition point, many people are scared of it and go back to $100 an hour, which is a trap because it's exhaustible. But once you get that $10 an hour on automatic, now it becomes much more plug and play. Bring in another employee or resource to deliver the next $10 an hour. Now you're making $20 an hour. And then you start seeing it amplify and then you can make an infinite you know, dollar amount without any effort. And, and right. the manifestation of this is I travel a lot. So I admittedly go to McDonald's every so often. And I was at a McDonald's and um, 
I've done this a few times now. I, I asked for the owner of the McDonald's when I visit and the owner's never there. They're not right. flipping burgers and they're not cooking the fries. They're, they're not even managing the store. Th that's, what, that's what ownership is. Ownership is the deployment of systems so the business can run itself. And uh, that's what we need to aspire to do. We need to McDonaldize our business effectively. Yeah, I, my favorite uh, is always Subway. Uh, all subways are run by 17 and 18 year olds and right. the owner is never there. Never. If you go into a subway where the owner's there, they either just bought it or they're not making money. They're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And we have the same opportunity in, in any business. Um, it, but it, the thing is, it takes a lot of thinking. It's easier to do work than to think about work. It really is. Because doing... Uh, you know, the example is, you know, you have 15 minutes to dig a deep hole or you got 15 minutes to figure out a Rubik's cube. Many people will go right for the hole because at least you can see the progress you're making immediately. And the people that started the Rubik's cube and get frustrated, run out and start digging the hole, you know, a few minutes later when, and that's how we're in our business is that we're, we're, we're going to the immediate satisfaction of seeing things accomplished. It's just easier to do it myself than we are in bringing about systemization to see the greater impact. Um, it's a, it's a challenge, but if you don't make that transition over to thinking about how your business operates and really working on the systems, you're going to be trapped digging holes for the rest of your life. Right. Well, as the uh, economy gets a little bit shaky, yeah. uh, all the people who've been listening to the, the, the preaching that you need to create recurring revenue programs are going to find out that they made the right decision if they created those recurring revenue programs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, clients might slow down and they might occasionally drop a little support here or there. But uh, what will what got you through the, the last recession was working your tail off. What might get you through this one is having that recurring revenue that's almost like a, a buoy. It's a it's a minimum amount that uh, your business can go down. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, you know, I think a lot of businesses try to hit for the fences and we try to get that big project in a big project and all of a sudden that next big project doesn't show and like, oh my God, where are we? We have to build a constant deliverable, something that can be easily acquired with minimal effort on our side. And there's a lot of effort in developing it. It's just in the delivery. Can we make that more and more efficient and easier each time? That's where the money is. Very cool. So folks can find you at MikeMcCalibitz.com or on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, any final words for us? Because we are basically out of time. Yeah. So I'll give you just one little shortcut. Mike McCallowitz is a doozy spell. So I also have MikeMotorbike.com. So if you go to MikeMotorbike.com, all my resources are there. And uh, I just want to remind people that as a IT professional, you, you are the, you're supporting the infrastructure of, of the world. Small business IT shops. I had one are critical uh, to the success of our economy. So thank you for what you do. And uh, just remember your clients are starving for you to be profitable. That's the only way you can sustain and do the good work you do. Very good, thank you for being with us. And by the way, uh, since I grew up in North Dakota, Michalowicz is a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for North Dakota it totally is. Thank you for tuning in to this SMB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.